On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Rhett Wiseman, former Vanderbilt right fielder who was on the 2014 National Championship team. He tells us about calling the Michigan game with Andrew Allegretta on the radio, playing under head coach Tim Corbin, his expectations for this year's Vandy Boys team, the Vandy Whistler, and the growth of college baseball over the last few years. Plus, we recap the Vandy Boys' sweep of Missouri over the weekend. The Commodores win over Dayton on the hardwood in the second round of the NIT on Sunday afternoon. The atmosphere inside Memorial Gym that has helped revive Coach Stackhouse's program. And a quick preview of the Xavier game tonight. 8 o'clock local time tip-off on ESPN for a chance to advance on to the Final Four in Madison Square Garden. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, Grab a cold one and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 154. It is March 22nd, 2022. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Well, we got another beefy episode. We got a lot to talk about. Vanderbilt baseball got the sweep over Missouri. Uh, Shea Ralph uh, cartwheeled into the locker room after the game as the women's team beat Liberty. And they killed them. And Liberty's a, a great team to go to the round of two. Round of uh, round two, I guess, is what you call it. Uh, Vanderbilt still dancing in the NIT. They beat Dayton seventy to sixty-eight. We'll talk uh, a lot about that, but also preview their game tonight against Xavier. And then, Will, I, I interviewed uh, Rhett Wiseman uh, last week. We'll, we'll throw that one in here too. Uh, I haven't been able to get that one out, but Will, what a weekend. Vanderbilt Athletics is pretty hot right now, especially on the basketball side of things. We, I don't think anyone was surprised Vandy swept Missouri, but the way these two basketball teams are playing right now, Will, I don't know if anybody expected this, especially in the postseason. They are two teams uh, in the SEC. Very few SEC teams are still playing, and both these teams are still playing. So uh, what, what, a, what a day Sunday was, and also Monday at, at Memorial Gym. Yeah, Billy, not the tournament you want to be playing in in March at this point, but you're at least playing in postseason play. And for programs that two years ago were pretty much in the basement as far as how far you can fall down into the basement, you always say the it can always go lower, but really where both of those programs were with the coaches, lower. I mean, I think that is rock bottom, similar to at the end of Derek Mason's tenure, you mm-hmm. can really say 
And then this last season with Clark Lee, rock bottom. So hopefully the football program with their spring game coming up and it's yes. sneaking up on us here yep. as we have, we're going to have a little bit of football talk actually at some point, not this, not this episode, but in the future. So hopefully the football program can take a similar path because both of these programs, men's and women's basketball seem to be heading in the right yeah, direction. Just massive steps that they've taken in this tournament. Vanderbilt beat Dayton on Sunday. The women's team destroyed Liberty on Monday in a shocking result. And they'll travel uh, over to Murfreesboro and play MTSU in, in, uh, in, in round three, I guess that's uh, the final eight I think for the women's side and, and same for Vanderbilt as they'll play Xavier in Cincinnati tonight uh, got a student student bus uh, on the way up to Cincinnati probably as we speak so we'll they're, they're making the right decisions and and Shane Foster obviously we'll get into him too he's having a watch party tonight so uh, the vibes are high vibes are high especially uh, walking out of Memorial Gym on Sunday and for a Sunday in the afternoon what an atmosphere that was. So we'll get into all that, Will, but uh, also Rhett Wiseman coming up. Uh, we uh, recorded an interview with Rhett Wiseman last week. Uh, we'll throw that in here today. But before we get to all of the breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, breaking news, the first big piece of breaking news here is the new Vanderbilt logo and Oh my gosh! I, I, I. First off, we knew something was coming today because we, you know, we saw a few tweets about, uh, you know, something that was going to happen. I don't think anybody expected it to be this. Um, well, initially looking at it, I saw the V. I was like, okay, don't, don't love it, but I also really don't like it, and and there's not much good to say about it. And then you started trying to surf around the internet and Twitter and see if the star V had been officially dead, and I think it's died. Like, I think the star V is gone. The original star V that everyone knows and loves. And I think that's the main thing that people are concerned with right now. And we were talking before this and saying how, you know, obviously the V is a lot different, but I think the main thing that people look at here is the star V and the fact that it's gone and the new, re the, the new star V, obviously it's not even, it just look, the V is a lot bigger and it's out, it's more outside of the, the, the star. And it just looks, it doesn't look good at all. And the star V was what separated Vandy. Well, I think from SEC schools, everyone in the country, and now it's gone. And well, I think right now a big thing is the only thing uniting that that Vandy United has done is unite their fans against them. It's <laughs> yeah, every time. I mean, they say yes, they've they've done a lot of goodwill, but it feels like there's more uniting, but doing there's more uniting the fan base against them and what they're actually doing than uniting them for this cause that, that uh, with this new logo, it's kind of sad. And so I, I haven't, well, I haven't seen a single Vandy fan that likes this new logo. There's a few out there that that obviously they, they want, they like the new energy, but at the same time, will I was confused. And I think the Twitter comment of the day, I don't know if you saw this, it came from gold underscore N bear under uh, our, our thoughts tweet. He said, my question is, how much of that SEC payout did they pay a third grader to design it? <laughs> and so there are, there are a lot of good tweets today. Um, but, Will, the main thing I look at here is fans look at the Star V and instantly know it's Vandy. Like, that, that, yeah, that, that's Vanderbilt. You got the V, you got the Star. But now how is anyone supposed to recognize that logo as Vanderbilt? 
that that's that's what I look at here. And there's a lot to get into. And you know, we'll get to some of the um, the the notes on Vanderbilt's website about this. But I think we're I think we're in uh, in agreement uh, on this. Will as I think ninety percent of Andy fans are. <laughs> So I've been, I've had a pretty crazy busy last week and a half. And so I've been, that's why we've only had one podcast, me and you have been Mm -hmm. in in the last week and we're trying to get back on our normal, at least two per week schedule, but it's been pretty chaotic. So I'm catching up on all this news and I was trying to read as much and look at as many photos and videos they put out of this logo. And the more I look at it, the more I hate it. And the more that I think about it, the more I have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue is first off, I know they paid some consulting company, some third party, some contract company to design this logo. First off, I don't know how much they spent. They're a private university. We'll never know how much they spent. But it, if it was more than zero dollars and zero cents, then it was too much money because that's like a default font on Microsoft Word. Yeah. That's, it's horrendous. First, it's just boring. It's, it's like, a history it's not, channel. Yeah, it's it's fine like if that's going to be your thing, but if you want to go to that basic logo and I can't decide really what they're doing. So is this the university's new this logo, is, this I is guess? This is the university and the athletic department. Yeah, that's so. where I'm getting confused. So uh, that's what we need to see and shape out before I really give right. my opinion. Because as far as like a university logo, like over that like V with whatever design it is, I like it way better for the actual like Vanderbilt University academic part. And I like that. So I think that's what it is. And it's going to be connected in some way as a more formal logo. But I I think the block V is is what they're going to go with is the actual logo, which that I'm not as opposed to. I like the star V. I like what it is. But the block V makes sense and, and it fits. And I think you can update. And if you're trying to tie in to the brand recognition that the Vandy boys have created across social media, specifically Instagram, then I think that just that block V makes sense. So that's what I'm hoping their vision is. And this is just the athletic or the uh, athletics department right. showing support of the university and the academic side shifting to this new logo. That's what I'm hoping. So before we all get up into arms, Let's make sure this is actually an adjustment to Vanderbilt's logos, because I really doubt that there's going to be any significant changes to anything associated with the athletic department. Once all the dust settles, I don't think this has any impact. Yeah, along those so lines, let's chill out. Yeah. <laughs> on, on the website, they said, uh, given the long lead time required for athletic uniform design, uniforms featuring the new logos will debut in fall 2023. So, okay, so I, it is. So, yeah, I mean, like I, I said, I'm catching up on this. Like I was reading into it 30 minutes ago. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, who knows to what extent that these logos are inserted into uniforms. And, you know, I, I would assume that the new star V will now will be incorporated onto the field. And because and that, that looks like something that is a sticker on Snapchat. Like that yeah, is it, this new bad. star V is the one thing that we can go on a rant if they do more stuff i don't want to go on a rant now because i want to see where they go with it i don't mm-hmm. want to prejudge what they're going to do right but that star v is unacceptable like that that yeah, star it's... v is hideous like that will cost you fans and recruits you will sell less merchandise mm-hmm. uh, i would never buy a vanderbilt shirt with that on it because it's I... just fucking ugly like <laughs> i don't <laughs> who looked at that i don't know who, who looked said at that star v design who said that's better 
and Who said and looked at the old one and we said before of all the things of everything that is wrong with Vanderbilt athletics and so many things that need this to be This is the improved, one thing that was right. There there I don't even know if it's right but it's definitely not the thing that needed to be improved because not only do you have the Star V that has a liking and has people that like it you also have this developed brand already developed for free not for free they paid money but right. at this point you already have it of the block V that the Vandy boys use that they've already shifted to in the football uniforms. So if you're going to use it on athletics uniforms, just use that. And crazy enough, that block V that they use is the same one inside the star V yeah. that's on everything already. I, what this I thought, doesn't make any, this feels like a waste of money. They, I don't know what they had to pay, but this wasn't cheap. All these promo videos weren't cheap. The amount of salary that they paid to people to create all these, all this buzz and social media and time. And this is just ridiculous. Like this, yeah. the more I think about the wastefulness of this, the more this was just a horrible miscalculation by Vanderbilt. And I don't understand of all the things that they've started to do well and make sense with why. Now, now you have why? this. After I mean, you, 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 get, you get hot on the basketball floor on Sunday, you get another women's game on Monday, and then boom, this. Let, let's change the logo. I just I don't I don't understand it at all. I don't get why they felt like they needed to. And again, we can talk about their explanations and all that. But there is I, I would uh, I would venture to guess ninety percent, maybe ninety five percent of Vanderbilt fans v disagree with this and, yeah, it's and just, hate. It's the logo. another decision that is just kind of confusing. Blind. Like it's what, just I, it's I, deaf. I it's tone deaf as to why this this is not a priority. There's so many so many things that are priorities, and this is. 150th is the logo on there because I, I don't know it just this doesn't feel like the time they just seem like they're shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over just being disconnected and they keep wondering well why is our fan base you know getting smaller when this is why around it is this is why this is an example Stuff of a like decision this. that is whatever you spent on this I guarantee some type of promo for fans just nothing don't touch the logo don't even like that's never even a project you even think of working on from the get-go that never gets a green light to go past somebody pitching it in a meeting at a desk that never gets a green yeah. light you could have spent that money on a, a couple promo nights of t-shirt giveaways and that would have been more effect mm -hmm. effective to draw in fans and communicate with the fan base and do something they want this is not something that any vanderbilt fan or anybody in nashville looked at and said this is a problem that needs to be solved. There was no issue. No, you're, there, you're there, looking, there was no problem. There's a list of a thousand problems over here. And you somehow said, nope, swipe that to the side. Let's go looking for a problem that doesn't exist. It's it's bad. It's just bad, Will. And I thought initially the logo was simply for academics and for the mm. university itself. But when I saw this logo inserted into the profile accounts on Twitter of all these teams, I got really scared and I got, okay, this is, this is actually happening for these teams. And well, on the topic of the, the coaches and, and even administrators who agreed on this, apparently Vanderbilt received feedback from the Commodore fan council, which I have no idea how, I don't, I, I don't know any fans that would have agreed to that. And the black and gold board of advisors in developing the new marks, a survey on the initiative was sent to university deans, faculty, students, and coaches and feedback feedback sessions for the proposed new marks included coaches and administrators. 
Not sure why anyone would agree to that. I, I find, they didn't I find put that the, uh, hard to believe. They didn't put TDR on, on the yeah. fan counts. I applied back then. I don't think that uh, my application was reviewed thoroughly once we're gonna, they saw my name. We're going to make our own TDR fan council. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a TDR council and we'll just we'll put out releases that Vanderbilt doesn't read. Or maybe they do. <laughs> and we'll just be anti. We'll be I like the it. onion. We'll be the onion of <laughs> Vanderbilt fan council. The anti-Vanderbilt fan council. But we'll uh, also... Uh, the identity refresh. I wonder if they conferred with the fan council because we probably want to move to this conferred with the fan council to not have any type of concessions outside of hot dogs and cheese cups with chips and pretzels (laughs) at the game because that was also pretty disappointing. I get it. It's Sunday. There's no Chick-fil-A, but at that game, that was good. There's going to be a lot of people, but come on. Like that was a pretty big game, pretty great environment, Billy, that I know we want to get past this logo here because we're running short on time. Yeah. Uh, I know we've... On on uh, Sunday there that we actually ran into each other. We we did. We we actually were both there. We were both in attendance and, and we'll get to that. But at the same time, we will dive more into this logo and everything in between again we there's still stuff to happen with this we don't know how it's going to be implemented we don't know how much it's going to be implemented but we'll dive into all of that uh well yes we were both in memorial gym sunday for a two o'clock tip-off vanderbilt and dayton uh vandy boys swept missouri will i know we're, we don't want to get into this too much but they did sweep them uh, carter holton won sec freshman of the week take colwick sec player of the week and they're actually playing at belmont at first Tennessee uh, versus Belmont at first Tennessee park right now, as we speak, I think they're tied at one and then they'll go at South Carolina and Columbia this weekend, three game series starting on Thursday night. So that's kind of your baseball update there. I know, uh, I know you were walking into the gym and saw Enrique's home run. I yeah, think that, that, that was, uh, I don't know if it was Enrique's or who's oh, it was. Somebody's. I was, I was walking into the gym. They were down one Oh to Missouri. And as I was walking into the game against Dayton on Sunday, they actually hit one and you heard the crowd erupt. So, but at the same time, another, game this was just like the the other game uh they moved it up their uh, first round matchup a couple hours but not you have a baseball game you have what 20 2000 at least 2500 fans crowd definitely it was a good crowd 3000 it seats what 3500 at the hawk so that would definitely be at the basketball game Mm -hmm. if there wasn't a baseball game so it's just like you look at the crowd and you think what could have been if we yeah. couldn't have gotten screwed by scheduling again? I think I think you did notice uh, late in the game against Dayton, there were a few more fans, mm-hmm. some stragglers that came in after the baseball game, but it was nothing like Vanderbilt and Belmont and those the leftover fans going over the Hawk, and they packed the outfield um, uh, and during their game against uh, their midweek game, I think, last week. So, But, Will, let's get into Vanderbilt and Dayton, and, and then we'll talk a little bit about Vanderbilt and Xavier. That was my first time back in Memorial in three years, and it felt wow. like, yeah, long time it felt like it used to feel like it did it, it really did I know it wasn't full but it it felt like that some of those games Vanderbilt Kentucky back in the day and, and and again could be overrating it but the sounds that you heard and and the way it sounded the atmosphere was electric students were unbelievable not just the students but the lower bowl the lower bowls really brought the energy too and I think that was due to a lot of what Shane Foster and you uh, did to hype up the crowd there <laughs> in, the, in the lower bowl uh, well Memorial Gym is a tough place to play again and because of that Vanderbilt basketball is fun again it's fun Walking out of that gym, all you could hear was people referencing the old days, and Memorial Gym is back, and this is what we've wanted, and, and Vanderbilt basketball is a fun product to attend now, and I think it has been down the stretch here, but now you've got these postseason wins, and Vanderbilt basketball is back to what it should be. It was, it was aw- awesome 
crowd for a Sunday afternoon. I know the place wasn't packed. It was still probably 8,000, I think, was the announced attendance. I don't even know if it was 8,000, but Scottie Pippen Jr. will showed out. 32 points, 7 assists, 11 of 13 from the free throw line. Ronnie Chapman, 9 points. All of his threes, by the way, too, came at huge points in that game. He did miss those last two free throws that uh, that Vanderbilt fans had to, had to sweat out uh, those last two. Uh, but Quint Malora Brown was huge, Will. He got a massive ovation as he was jogging off to the bench after his fifth foul. And I still think, Will, there were a lot of good plays in that game, but Liam Robbins' block to close out the game was to play the game. I mean, that, I, I, I was confused by why Dayton was so slow to actually start driving in the paint. Uh, I think they had eight seconds, 7.8 or something like that. Uh, but Liam Robbins just, just denied that one, and Vanderbilt ended up winning. Uh, but, well, the story of this game, I think, is where Vanderbilt basketball is right now and the culture that's building. And I know the NIT is not where you want to be, but right now for this program, Coach Stackhouse talked about it. He, he was – talking about how, you know, a few days ago in a press conference that, you know, th- this is this is where we're supposed to be right now. You know, this is what we need. This is what our program needs. I know they wanted to be in the tournament, in the, in the NCAA tournament. But at the same time, you're making a run the NIT, and they've got – they're one game away from Madison Square Garden. So, Will, this is what this team needed. I think we thought and, and knew this team was capable of this, uh, but it's actually happening, and they've got a huge game against Xavier tonight. Uh, but, Will, the story is the crowd and Vanderbilt basketball being back. Because it sure sure does feel like it's back. Yeah, the I mean, it's it's just hard to even put into words, Billy. <laughs> I mean, it's not back yet. the The environment of Memorial, it's not quite back there. The students are doing a hell of a yes. job of creating the environment, but slowly but surely, I actually think the fans, the general fans, not the slowly. students, were better. They were better in this game significantly on Sunday than they were previously against Belmont. Now that has something to do with there were a lot of local graduates of Belmont that are also mm-hmm. Vanderbilt fans, so they were a little bit torn, including my dad. So I think he enjoyed this game a little bit more. But you got to keep in mind, like I said earlier, that you have the you had the baseball game going on. That's good. those are your diehards as well that are going to a Sunday early SEC series baseball game. Right. Like they would be in the gym if there was not a baseball game going on. So. And this is one of the few times I think the announced attendance was like 8,500 or somewhere mm-hmm. in there. That was probably pretty accurate. Like one of the few times I looked around and then looked at the announced attendance, because there were a lot of times they were announcing like 6,000 people. And I'm like, there were way more than like 2,000 more people at this mm-hmm. game than the previously announced attendances. Yeah. So they did a great job. The only complaint I have is you knew you had this big game coming, Vanderbilt. You knew you did. And you have Chick-fil-A normally at your concession stands. It was a Sunday. But they didn't, not only did they not open up the other concession stands, the lines weren't a problem, so they didn't need to do that. But they didn't have anything but just the default hot dog. <laughs> like, I get it, like, whatever. It's not a big thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, why? Like, maybe add, like, one thing. Because I was at <laughs> like, 2 p.m. Thing. on a Sunday. Like, anything but a hot dog. I don't know. That was my only complaint, that it was like, we're, I guess they were too busy thinking about that logo reveal yeah, I saw to you think wa- about the concessions for that game on Sunday. <laughs> I saw I saw you walking in with your hot dog to the seats. I was like, oh, that's all they got, Will? That's, uh, yeah, I guess that's, hot that's dog and that- some up. Uh, normal original lace chips so <laughs> delicioso yeah they were too busy thinking about the new logo i i, I definitely i appreciate I, the i appreciate the bearded iris ipa that they have the bearded I iris do yeah. i do appreciate that as an they offer. got new ipa options of course uh, i think at both at hawkins field and memorial gym so uh but well again what an atmosphere i i do agree with you the students are back 
but I do think there are some, some a lot more common fans that I think now next season, you're going to see a lot of them back. It I, takes I, the, it takes a little bit longer to convince common fans than it does the students. The students, you have a couple Vanderbilt good games, fans. you have a couple good games and students are just going for the environment. They can just walk over, they can have a good time and leave. It's a little bit more of a commitment for me to like get off work, yeah. drive immediately over. It's my entire evening is gone. So, but like we said, we kept saying it, Billy. We kept saying all this stuff of what do they have to do to bring mm. Memorial Magic back? What do they have to do to when. re-engage fans? What when? I mean, it's simple. <laughs> you know what they've done recently? They've won and they've been competitive. And look, it's coming back. It's it's amazing you know? how that works. I almost guarantee. It's not an almost. I do guarantee you, Billy, that it's the same thing in football. It's the same thing in every sport. There's no secret recipe. Everyone knows the recipe. How do you get there? I mean, Jerry Stackhouse seems to have figured out something. Mm. No, I don't know if you have thoughts on what you think the secret sauce, the thing that has been the flip of the switch here in these la- in this last stretch, but who do you think, Billy? And this is a question for you. Okay. What is the difference here? Because you look at the box score, man, and it's not like Rodney Chapman and Liam Robbins, even though they add depth, they're lighting up the scoreboard in and out. And Jordan Wright didn't have a good yeah. game this, this go-round either. So something has changed with this yeah. team. And I don't think it's something that we're going to be able to point to anything on the box score mm-hmm. at what has changed. But it feels like the tide is shifting of these close games. They have the expectation to win. Right. They know how to win. They're learning how to close out these games. And that is what we talked about at the beginning of the year. We said the complete opposite. If you go back and listen, we said this team just doesn't know how to close out these close games. They don't win this game. They don't win this game in overtime, even though Rodney Chapman missed those last two free mm-hmm. throws in previ- in the first half of the season. Hell, 10 games ago, right. I don't think that they win this game against Dayton. So this game against Xavier, it's kind of icing on the cake. The Xavier team is very good. Mm-hmm. But what Vanderbilt has been able to do to close out this season and completely change the perspective Oh, of yeah. kind of how we're looking at this and looking at Jerry Stackhouse and looking at this next season. It's kind of crazy what the NIT can do when you're when you're going yeah. to, kind of on an upward trajectory yeah. as opposed to usually when Vanderbilt's been in the NIT in the past. It's almost been a downward trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been like, this is a disappointment yeah. as opposed to uh, an accomplishment. Yeah, here. I, I think it's the culmination, Will, of this team is finally coming together as a whole. And, and you know, we talked about fully healthy. You know, who knows how healthy they still are? Who knows if Chapman's banged up? But they sure do look pretty damn healthy. And they're fully dressed. I think it's the culmination of this team just coming together. And, you know, we talk about, you know, if you... Well, even it, this it, is... I know it's I know it's pretty much fully healthy, but it is funny that Vanderbilt can never actually be fully healthy. Yeah. Because Trey it's Thomas Im- is injured, yeah. <laughs> so it's actually impossible for them. Like it doesn't. It, they get two guys back, and ke- the curse of Kevin Stallings is like, nope, nope. You got to have at least one. Got to have at least one. You got to have at least one. But will I like the old quote uh, in the movie Field of Dreams? If you build it, they will come. Jerry Sackhouse is building this culture, and I think fans are starting to notice it now, and they're coming. They're going to Memorial Gym. I know that was the last home game of of this season, uh, but there's a. Uh, I think there will be a decent amount of Vanderbilt uh, support tonight in, in Cincinnati. I really well, do. It's nice and to see fun. Like, it's nice to see, like, both programs, whether it's the Shea Ralph cartwheel yeah. into the locker room mm-hmm. or stacking the gritty, hitting the gritty, hitting the gritty after, after, the after the game. Like, <laughs> it's it's nice to see, like, a Van- Vanderbilt basketball and these guys that, like, especially guys that have been there for the past three years that have just seen the bad. Like, mm-hmm. you haven't seen that – 
elation and that happiness. It's like, it's what you hope to see in football next year. I think they're a couple years away from it, mm-hmm. but you kind of saw it in Colorado state. It's like, these guys are busting their asses yeah. day in, day out. They yeah. hear all the stuff. Like they want to win, like as bad as we want them to win, I guarantee they want to win more. Like yeah. they, they want yeah. to win. And it's just, when you see that kind of from stack, especially you kind of feel almost that weight slowly lifting off these guys' shoulders of like, okay, we're not a crappy team. Like we're mm-hmm. we're not disappointing all these fans. Yeah. And we're moving in the right direction. It's like it, it's yeah. it's just very positive to see that. And it's been a really long time, man. It has. It it's has. like I think we're just grasping at anything at this point. Yeah. Because <laughs> man, we were in the depths. We were in yeah. the depths of it. And, I mean, and will, as a Vanderbilt this... fan, it Going you don't to the know NIT, if it's going to go back up. Under Kevin Stallings, going to the NIT, this was a bad season. Like, we wouldn't have been talking about this season as, as a good season, as a success under Kevin Stallings. You know, maybe it would have been a down year, but that's how it's changed. You know, that's, that's like where we're at right now. And, you, and fans relate to effort. And well, it's, com- it's also, man, Kevin Stallings was always the criticism was he just never quite achieved when he had the talent conglomerate. He was never able to achieve the peak of the talent and get the most out of them. And and the odd part is feels like that's happening now. It feels like this team, like Stack, is getting the most out of this Mm -hmm. level of talent that this team has right now. And it's like it's kind of getting there and you see where they are. And I think it's undeniable. I mean, this team is they're a top 50-ish, top 40-ish team in the country. And right now, and that's before this class comes in. So it's just and just I think the building. most, I think the most, most important thing, my brother and I have talked about it after the game, and it's this is this is creating momentum for next year. Like I think that is very, very important because yes, you've got the three, four freshmen coming in, but Will, I also think Scotty Pippen Jr., it's still up in the air. I really do. Like for Jerry Stackhouse, his offseason homework assignment is meeting with Scotty Pippen and saying, Hey, without without you, we're not an NCAA tournament team next year, you know. I mean, may, maybe maybe they are, but at the same time, without Scottie Pippen, this team is is different. Now I know they'll be they'll be young and they'll be they'll have energy and they'll still be a good team next year. But the recruiting pitch for him is come back. Let's 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 go to the tournament. Let's go to the tournament. Well, the, same- the recruiting pitch for Scottie Pippen Jr. You're right. It is go to the tournament. But on the other side, I mean, his draft stock hasn't improved. Right. Really. I mean, that's right. the part that we keep hitting on. Is he did he came back to Vanderbilt because he didn't like where he was being evaluated in the draft, and he came back theoretically to have another year, another shot at a better record, but mostly to improve his draft stock, and that hasn't really happened. Where is because he? They, where, where he's is- probably a mid second round guy which is where he was. I, I haven't seen much. I, I haven't even looked really. He's, but. The issues, the knock on him is he's a little bit undersized. Um, he's a little bit, you know, he's not unathletic at all. He is athletic, but he's not bouncy right. like that at his size. Right. And he's a, not a consistent shooter. Right. And so those are, those are some issues that he's yeah. going to have. And he has a turnover problem as well. Mm-hmm. So next season... As and the as the train gets by. in, let's talk about Xavier. We'll get to next season, but uh, <laughs> Vanderbilt does have Xavier tonight. Will eight o'clock local time tip on ESPN? As I talked about, the, they are sending a bus full of students up to Cincinnati, probably right as we speak. And if you're in the Nashville area, I'm not sure if you're going to this. Will I know you commented on this, but Shane Foster will be having a watch party tonight at Bar Lines inside of the Omni Nash- Nashville Hotel. And there were a lot of anchors. He said, uh, "He said tweet the uh, anchor emoji if you if you're interested." There were a lot of those, so that that could be a, a fun little atmosphere tonight. But yes, next season will. I, I I'm I just think with Scottie Pippen back next season, this team with ease is an NCAA tournament team. Without him, you know who knows? I, I think there's still a shot. But with Scottie Pippen next season, 
they're a tournament team because you've got Liam Robbins also back, Jordan Wright presumably back. Maybe you get a transfer, but you also get probably a couple more transfers coming in. And you've got those young freshmen coming in. So I just look at the excitement yeah. for next season that, that the NIT game provided uh, and that went over Dayton. Yeah, next season, if, uh, if Scotty Pippen Jr. comes back, this uh, team would be an NCAA tournament or bust team of yes. like horrific disappointment if they were not. It, it would be have to be once again injuries ravaging the team or something. Which we know that's like, gonna happen. If the, if they were even remotely healthy for most of the season, that would be an NCAA tournament team or yes. bust if he came back. But that that I don't think is even the pitch to Scottie Pippen because you know I think he wants to play in the NCAA tournament, but I think his ultimate goal is to play in the NBA. And I and I think based on everything that's what he's probably, probably going to want to do. And I think the pitch to him is saying next season, there's going to be real depth and real other scoring on this team where teams are going to be unable to just focus on you. You're not going to have such a high usage rate. We're going to not have you handling the ball at all times. And guess what? Those turnover numbers that are a big knock on you uh, in your NBA down. draft scouting profile, they're going to go down. Your assist to turnover ratio is going to go tremendously up your shooting percentages are going to go up because you're not going to have to take as many ill-advised shots, not even ill-advised, into the shot clock, late game, tough, contested shots. That's not all going to be on him. That's the pitch to him. Not, hey, we're going to be really good and we can win and you can go to the tournament. I don't think that's the pitch to him. I think the pitch is we can do all that and you can improve everything that is the current knock on you that is leading to you be, being a second round pick, not getting a guaranteed slotted contract and guaranteed contract for the upcoming season. We can get those numbers to where you want to be. And Hey, if you can improve that athleticism a little bit, then we're looking at a first round draft pick here, which is what Scotty Pippen jr. I think ultimately wants to be. So I think that's where yes. the pitch is to him and man, that team next year with those guys Ooh. and him coming back, Liam Robbins, QMB, because that's something before he moved to Xavier that we have to talk about is how good late in that game and pulling those offensive rebounds that ultimately mm -hmm. won them the game qmb and liam robbins both yes. were yeah and liam will didn't even really play much of that second half because uh, QMB, qmb was so damn good qmb he was, was so damn good he was playing some really good basketball and cut late in that game liam robbins had that huge rebound put it back up and in and then made a huge block so right as you kind of forget a little bit about liam robbins he comes in and I mean, it just saves that game in a sense, you know, it's at least in regulation. I mean, without Liam Robbins, I don't know if they if they put that game into overtime. And so, Will, it, it, it's well, a it lot was, of it, it. Remember, it was QMB that, it that was. closed it out. He pulled the offensive rebound and uh, that saved the game after Scottie Pippen Jr. missed and then hit the layup that Scottie Pippen Liam Robbins hit to him. Was, it was the, at the end of overtime. Yes, yep. yes. Liam so Robbins was, that's was why I wanted to hit on both of them is QMB, I think, is getting overshadowed by what Liam Robbins did in overtime right. after QMB actually fouled yeah. out. There would have been no overtime had QMB, QMB not made the plays. QMB pulled the offensive rebound, kicked it back out, then rolled perfectly what a save. and finished. What a, what a save that was by Keogh. So I, I just, I don't think he, because that block by Robbins, incredible play right after pulling the offensive rebound and scoring. So I don't want to diminish that. Yeah. But I think that is overshadowing the fact that QMB basically did the same thing yes. on the other end and made yeah. the same game-saving slash game-winning play. So that's two guys that made those plays, Billy, yeah. that they another, weren't making another, in the beginning of the season. Another key, Will, is... Liam Robbins getting healthy and giving QMB more of a break and also putting them on the floor at the same time. Like those two guys together 
they're pretty dangerous. Well, it's like, just like, you go from one to the other. It's just like you go from Liam Robbins, you're like, oh, good, a break. And then QMB, who's like Grindr. more physical and just like, oh, God, like this guy's going to box me out every yeah. time. He's going to hit me with the elbow and turn around and box me out and hit me and bump into me. And, and then you're like, okay, well, he's out of the game. And then Liam Robbins is coming in. You're like, great. So yeah. that's, that's what I they, thought, they just wear you down yeah. throughout the game. You see their posts and their guards just getting worn down by the size. I thought and you Q- didn't have that when your backup was six foot six. Yeah, I thought QMB did a great job on the the more athletic four and five guys he was guarding. Mm-hmm. That they, they had some really good post players that were really mm-hmm. athletic. And Robbins out, you know, was struggling with them. They throw QMB on him, and QMB did a great job on him. They're also you know, very they, different styles of defenders. Like yes. that's a that's the weird part is they're good both good defenders but like QMB's not really a shot blocker and he's no. just so straight up and so he's pesky out. he's pesky yeah I, don't, I guess that's a good word like he's just solid in the post mm-hmm. and then Robbins is the shot blocker that's going to in my opinion lead the SEC in yeah. blocks probably next season but Kentucky will probably have some freshmen that'll have like <laughs> nine blocks a game. Other than that, Robbins, I expect to take a pretty big step forward in like defensive yes. production like and a lot also, of these fouls that he's getting. I think you're going to be blocks next season. Also, with his shooting, Will, imagine if he's able to get up to like oh. a 30% three-point shooter. That's that's even more danger. So, you know, we'll get a lot of uh, talk in with next year's team and previewing that team next year. Uh, but at the same time, Vanderbilt got the win over Dayton. We got, we got to talk about Shane Foster, man. Shane Foster, we gotta, we gotta here we go. Shane Foster, Foster yeah. brought the energy, Will. He brought it down yes. to the lower bowl. He was the student section opposite of the student section. Yep. Like, he led that charge in bringing a lot of that lower bowl energy back that we haven't seen in a while. And I know uh, you guys got that picture together, but what was that like? How did that, uh, how did that, how, what was the buildup of that like? <laughs> so it's probably not as positive a buildup as, uh, <laughs> as you're hoping it is, but there's a minute and a half left in the game. And I was standing up naturally with a minute and a half left in the game. And I was like, kind of just standing there, not minding my own business, not really doing anything but except someone, clapping. Some, someone and told you to sit down. Girl, woman behind me, which is said, "Hey, can you sit down?" And my dad was sitting next to me, and he just turned his head and just looked because he knows that is my thing, like that's my soapbox. Which I will, if somebody tell ask me that in the first quarter, I will stand up the entire game and will not sit down at a timeout. I won't go do anything. Like I hate it. And, and Vanderbilt fans are the worst about it. There yep. was a minute and a half left in a one score game and I was standing up cheering and I got asked to sit down. So that started, I said, no, I'm not going to sit down. And they said, there are people that are shorter behind you. And I said, well, tell them to get better seats. And that erupted the person behind me to say something. And then I said something kind of bad back and then just stood there uh, forward. And Shane Foster saw what was going on. He saw that I was just standing up cheering. And so he like, I don't know if he kind of recognized me from when we interviewed him before okay. or what but i was wearing a shane foster jersey too it probably helped. and he walked up and grabbed me by the back of the shoulder and said hey man i get it <laughs> we got to get all these people like he said something along the lines of i was pretty fired up and he said something like these people don't get it. he said we got to get their asses up like he's like I we got to get them going and he's like you got to come help me at the next time out and he was running through waving getting everyone up in the crowd and then he was cheering in the middle of the in the section alongside everybody louder than anyone and it's amazing to see as i'm standing there with people all around in his 32 jersey he's standing there in the middle of the stairs in that section running up and down and jumping up and down cheering as loud as anyone and you see directly above him is on top of all these jerseys around him is also in the rafters is that guy's name 
He doesn't have to be doing any of that. None of that is mm -hmm. fake. None of that's putting on anything. He cares that much. Mm -hmm. And if there was ever a greatest Commodore of all time conversation or anybody that had an issue with the number 32 going up there, man, if you see any, I don't even know if there's any videos of it, but if there's anything that you can see of him and I you saw no one, I saw one video on Twitter there, of it. I mean, it was like this, it's hard to even, like this would be a legend of any other university doing that game in, game out when he's not commentating the game for ESPN+. Plus. He's not being paid by the university to do that. He didn't have to do mm -hmm. that on his Sunday afternoon, and he's out there. So, man, Shane Foster's a great representative for the university and his involvement. That's what they need more of in football. They need more of that. They need more of these guys coming back and being involved and and i don't know it's not it's not a simple thing you can't force it to happen mm -hmm. it just has to happen and vanderbilt yeah. basketball fortunately has kind of a more rich history and tradition of all of that so but shane what a, foster what a he's the g the the good coat the g coat we'll have to come up with something for the it. greatest commodore of all time but the that's uh, he cemented himself in in my mind as, as that even what if he a, wasn't already before what a legend i mean well if, that's part of also i think why this team has had so much success in this nit they've played at home the students have been rowdy so have other fans but it's guys like shane foster that help with that environment and help with that energy and that's a, I think that's a big reason why. And, and I think the students also were there's they're, they're still mad about not being able to go to the Kentucky and Tennessee games. And they're, they have, they have proven to the university that, Hey, we are, we, this is Memorial magic. Like this, it, they, they take pride in that and they've shown that it, and it, as much it impacts as, the game. And as much as we hated on the, the design release for the logo, I do want to say Candace Story Lee was also there hyping yes. people up and hyping up the crowd. So I want to give her a shout out for being there and doing all of that. She also does. She's also very, I see her every single time I'm down there for a game. I happened. She was like, last time I waved somebody across without really looking and it was Candace Story, AD Candace Story Lee, walking across the road, going into the baseball game. So she's very involved. I think the logo was a miscalculation, but I, but I do like what she's doing, and she, yes. I think she cares. I think that's all it, you can see that she cares, and I think that Vanderbilt fans can support it, even if you make the wrong decisions and do the wrong thing, if you care. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think they haven't felt in the past from ADs like Malcolm Turner, yeah, uh, and different administrators. Yeah, the care, uh, the care I factor. I say, but Zeppos, Nick Zeppos. <laughs> the care factor is there. And <laughs> after the after the game, Will she also went up to the students and said that was awesome. You know, I mean, she was she's there. She's she's in mm -hmm. the she's in the thick of it. And and that's a bit that's a big part of I think her her effect on on what she's been able to do. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll wrap this up right here. Let's get a quick Xavier preview in tonight. It'll start at eight o'clock local time. It's on ESPN. So you got to imagine there's a good broadcast crew. We'll see who's on the call tonight up in Cincinnati. Should be a good atmosphere. Uh, both teams with a chance. They're fighting for a chance to go to Madison Square Garden. And for Vanderbilt tonight, well, again, I don't know really anything about Xavier. I did see where Robbie Weinstein uh, reported that they do have uh, one of their best players out tonight. I forget the guy's name, but they do have one of their better players out tonight with an injury. Uh, so that obviously I think will help Vanderbilt. But the way they're playing right now, Will, I think Vanderbilt is – they're playing as well as anybody in the country. And I, I, I said from the beginning of this NIT that they can win this NIT. And, you know, I wasn't saying straight up they're going to, but I said they've got what it takes to win it. And if, if uh, everything goes well, I think they will. And they're still on track for that. If you got one more, it's going to be a tough game tonight. Uh, but at the same time, will the way they're playing, 
I'm, I, I, I know Vanderbilt is, is the underdog. I think it's four. Is it still four, uh, four point underdog? I think, Will, well, I don't know. I couldn't find the tweet of who is out. Oh, we'll have to find that because I didn't get to do as much prep as, as normal for this one in research, but the line has shifted down to two and a half. So okay, Vanderbilt's two and a, a two and a half so, point underdog, but I imagine that has to do with whatever injury you're referring I, to. I would imagine we'll, we'll get that out on, we'll quote tweet that. I've got a little Twitter. bit of Xavier stuff, just a Here little bit of research just from what, what I know. What, are the, what do the Musketeers have tonight? Will? I've watched a, an unfortunate amount of college basketball this season. So the, the Xavier team looking at their analytics outside of it. So I've got a couple little tidbits of guys to watch, but looking at their analytics, they're very similar offensively to Arkansas. So they're going to look a lot like that in pace of play and shot selection percentage-wise. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to play like Arkansas, but that's going to be their pace and and what Vanderbilt's going to have to combat Mm -hmm. because they're very fast offensively. Vanderbilt, obviously, not a fast offensive team. So you have the two combative styles, once again, that Vanderbilt is playing. They they don't necessarily want to slow it down, but they do slow it down and and run their set offense while Xavier kind of speeds it up a little bit. Uh, a, a little tidbit on players. So Vanderbilt played Belmont in round one and beat them, obviously. But Kunkel. one of, uh, yep, Adam Kunkel is a hell of a player. He's a great shooter. He's really good for Belmont. He transferred to Xavier. Shooter. And now Vanderbilt's ma- matched up against him. So they definitely do not need to let him get loose. If he gets an open look, he's going to shoot it and he's going to make it. And then okay. the Xavier thing that's interesting, that's really interesting, is how they started out the season versus how they finished the season. They're a very talented team. They started out the year 11 and one, and then were 14 and three once conference play started. They then went three and nine their remaining 12 games before beating Georgetown and getting bounced in the first round of their conference tournament. So the Xavier team is good. They were probably had the expectations. They're kind of going the opposite direction of Vanderbilt. Like, like we said, their coach just got fired too. Yeah. Yeah. Vanderbilt trended up. Vanderbilt trended up to make the NIT. Xavier trended down to land in the NIT. So Mm -hmm. you're coming at it from two different directions. Usually Vanderbilt is also on the trend down. They started out the year at 12 and one and then fell apart. And things have changed. So we're in a different, it's two different angles. We'll see if one has more energy now that you're in game three. Maybe the legs are a little more tired, but the lights are getting a little bit brighter. I think the games feel a little bit more like they have real meaning to them now. The NIT, it's always tough in those first and second round matchups of what teams are really going to be invested in, in the game. And you can kind of see from the beginning, some teams were not. But I think Vanderbilt did play a Dayton team that very much was invested in that game, and that was super high energy. So... It, how are the legs for Vanderbilt? I think that they do have depth now that they are semi-healthy, fully semi-fully dressed. But Xavier, with whatever injury Billy, were you able to find the name I was, of the player I was, that's going to be out? Not able to find the name. Oh, um, good. Maybe you but, made that up. No, I, I did not. <laughs> but I know Robbie Weinstein reported it. Um, but you know, we'll 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 get that out. But another thing, Will, on this this matchup, Vanderbilt beat Xavier in one of their secret scrimmages uh, before the season even started that. without Liam Robbins. So that, I think that's I do want to say the Xavier team also did just beat Florida 72 to 56 in round two. Yeah, yeah. They, so they, they, killed, they dominated they them. Killed Florida. Uh, and Vanderbilt will play the winner of St. Bonaventure and Virginia. Will. So Virginia, they beat uh, North Texas. Uh, that was two that was more in teams overtime. that are used to being in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So you got a lot of those teams. Will. Texas A&M is still alive. They're playing Wake Forest. Uh, BYU is still alive as well, a mm. team that Vanderbilt beat. So there's beatable teams that Vanderbilt, I think, knows they can beat. And if they win tonight, they'll play next Tuesday uh, in Madison Square Garden. So 
Well, I, I just I can't remember the last time Vanderbilt was in this spot postseason play. I mean, obviously NCAA tournament, but making a run like this. I mean, obviously the last NIT run was I don't even know when. Um, you know, they beat South Dakota State, but that wasn't even really a run. I think they lost to Stanford uh, in the second round of that NIT uh, several years ago. But the way it's going right now, Will, Vanderbilt and Xavier will play at 9 o'clock and then Bonaventure and Virginia, the one before that. So I just think it's lining up. I, I, I really I know I said that from the beginning and before this tournament, uh, we'll find out who that injury is. Uh, but, Will, I think it's lining up and I, I'm, I'm going to go with Vandy tonight. I, just, I think I think they, they have what it takes to, to win tonight. And again, I don't know anything about Xavier. All I know about Xavier is that Vanderbilt beat them in the secret scrimmage. Uh, now, how much that matters to for this game tonight? Who knows? Um, but, Will, it, it's I, I can't remember the last time there was this much excitement down the stretch of a season and then of course in the postseason uh for a Vanderbilt team like this it's fun it's fun Vanderbilt basketball is back to being fun and if they can win again tonight that's moving that move continuing to move the needle continuing to move that that stack house narrative of hey he's here he's here to stay and he, he's going to continue building this program so uh we'll we'll find that guy uh and and who knows if he was able to play in that secret scrimmage uh but i'm going to pick vandy tonight over xavier let's just say screw it and go with our predictions um i'm going to pick vandy i'm going to pick vandy the minus two and a half xavier is i'm going to pick vandy on the other end of it i'm going to pick vandy 79 77 i'm going to pick vandy money line minus two switch it over to vandy 79 79 tonight over xavier in Cincinnati. That's my pick. You can lock it in. Okay. That's your pick, Billy. Yep. I haven't given this much thought as an actual prediction. I've got to give it real quick here because I have <laughs> to go back to work. Uh, but oh. so I would do want to point out because nobody will go back and listen and I will not get the credit. I did tweet it at you, but I picked the margin of victory on the Belmont game. Exactly. Correctly. I picked yes. 77, 66. They won 82 to 71. The game played out exactly how I said in my prediction. So now I'm going to be unbelievably wrong on the savior game. So that's how it always goes. You can't have two in a row that you're unbelievably right. But this game is a coin flip. I, I would looking at it, I would say that that line is probably set about accurately. I think it, now that it shifted down to about two points, I think that's probably where it should be. Mm -hmm. This is not based on anything. This is just going to be what team comes out and is able to hit their shots. And I think for whatever reason right now, Vanderbilt has the momentum and has the energy moving in the right direction. So, Billy, I'm going to go with a super similar score to your, yours, but I'm going to go 80, 80? to 75 okay. Vanderbilt wins. I, I think that it's going to be an unbelievably tight game. I don't think it's going to feel like a five-point game. Uh, but I think late it's going to be free throws. And Vanderbilt shot very well from the free throw line against Dayton. That's going to have to happen again. They were 14 of 18 prior to Rodney Chapman missing those two late. And that was the one thing I wanted to come on and say is I was going to say Vanderbilt shot 14 of 18 from the free throw line. Dayton shot 12 of 18 from the free throw line. And guess what the margin of victory was, Billy? Two. Two. But unfortunately, Rodney Chapman missed his last two free throws and ruined that whole dramatic statement that I was going to make there. But the point still holds true. Vanderbilt has to hit their free throws again. They need to shoot at least 70%, which is what they shot in the last game after all was said and done, 14 out of 20. They need to shoot at least that. If they shoot 75% or above from the free throw line in this game against Xavier, they will win the game. If they shoot under that, it's a coin flip. It's going coin to be flip. up in there. So watch that free throw line percentage, Billy. If watch they shoot it. over 75%, I will I will be utterly shocked if they lose the game. But I don't think they're going to shoot over 75%. I think it's going to be a nail-biter. 
Well, I agree. I also think Jordan Wright needs to have a good game. I think he needs to needs to put up a little bit more he, points he can't than go he did one against for eight. No, yeah, no. I think he does have to be a factor tonight. And will after this, and I want weekend, to get it in because I have two minutes, and you're going to have to close it out on your own. But Miles Studi is due. I, I feel I don't know what it is. It's just watching a shooter. You just feel like he felt like his shots were on target last game. I think that's my guy to watch. How I said Jordan Wright in the Belmont game. This is Miles Studi's game. This is this is the game that I see him burying some shots. So hopefully I'm right there. We'll see. Miles Studi is due, and that's Will's key uh, coming up. Rep Wiseman, former Vandy boy from 2013 to 2015, also a national champion for the Vanderbilt Commodores. So we'll uh, we'll talk with Rep Wiseman here in a little bit. We've got all that much more coming up next here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into the Door Report. I'm Billy Derrick, and I'm now happy to welcome in Rhett Wiseman, the national champion, uh, Vandy boy of the 2014 team. He was with uh, Vanderbilt Baseball from 2013 to 2015. And if you're able to catch the game at the Hawk, you're in for a good one. But if you weren't, you heard uh, you heard him on the radio call last night with Andrew Allegretta and locally in Nashville, 93.3 FM. Rhett, thanks thanks for taking the time again. A second occurrence here. Thanks uh, thanks for coming on. How you doing? Billy, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be here. It's um, it's it's great to be here, and I had a fantastic time last night on the game with Andrew, and I hope to you know make that more of a uh, common thing here moving forward. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'm sure fans were uh, were uh, ready ready and looking forward to hearing your voice again. But obviously, Rhett, with the way baseball is is kind of looking right now, it's you know we talked before we got on here. It's kind of a tough time to be in that minor league uh, system and be a free agent right now. So for fans who are kind of interested in where you stand in your career, where where are you right now with your baseball career, and and kind of what are some of the things you're looking forward to in your own career? Yeah, so Billy, it, it, like you said, it's kind of a weird year. Um, obviously with the lockout going over 90 days for major league baseball, um, the entire free agent process has been changed a little bit. It's been slowed down dramatically. Uh, unfortunately that's where I am. Uh, my contract expired, um, in, in November, uh, with the Washington nationals after seven years with them. Um, so now I am officially a free agent for the first time ever and am now kind of under this new system where, there are new roster restrictions where we have just left the lockout. Um, so kind of navigating through that and um, just kind of training and, and, and staying ready here in Nashville and hoping to receive a call here soon. Right. Obviously baseball fans are, are kind of upset with the way this season has kind of begun. Obviously it'll get underway, but as a minor league player in, in, in the minor league system right now, how tough has it been for you and some of your peers who are still in the minors right now? And, and where do you think the game of baseball is right now? I know they got a lot of the things resolved, uh, but how would you describe kind of the last year for you and a lot of those minor leaguers and former Vandy, Vandy boys that are, you know, trying to make their way to the bigs. Has that made it a little bit tougher with, especially with what's been going on, especially with COVID here recently? Yeah, Billy, you know, it's been ugly um, in, in a couple different aspects. And you, you, when you look at it, um, 
being in, in a minor league system over the past couple of years has been pretty tumultuous. Um, you think about what players have gone through, uh, coronavirus, uh, different rules being put in place, significant roster cut downs, significant team cut downs, um, you know, and, and not only has it been rough for players, but it's been even worse for fans. Fans have lost out on games. They've lost out on the ability to go to games, uh, restrictions at stadiums with coronavirus uh, protocols. You're talking about cities that used to have minor league teams that are no more that evaporated overnight that have been completely eliminated from affiliated baseball. Um, you know, I think we're in a really tough position. And if anything, these last couple of months with the lockout really showed kind of the separation between ownership and players. And I think that that's going to continue to further um, over the next few years. Well, the good thing is we still got college baseball. We still got games seemingly on more networks now. We've got games on SEC Network. Vanderbilt in Michigan was on SEC Network last night. We're going to see a lot more games on channels like ESPN2 and even hopefully MLB Network. Uh, but with Vanderbilt last night, we'll talk more about college baseball. What a game. I mean, that was that was a crazy finish for Vanderbilt. I don't know how they won. How would you describe how they won? And, and I think a lot of fans were kind of sitting there wondering, all right, how did this happen? It happened so quick. I don't even uh, I don't even know how Vanderbilt won that game. Right. And you know, the, the, the thing that I love so much about this Vanity team, we're early in the season, but they're 14 and two to start the first 16. And they're winning baseball games. Right? And, and that's what the, the, the only thing that matters is that they're winning games. So they're finding ways to win, which is the most important thing. Now, they didn't play nine innings of great baseball. They played four innings of great baseball at the beginning and three innings of great baseball at the end. The middle of that game was not great, and they lost the lead during that time. And I think that's really important for a couple reasons. Number one, Michigan is the best team that they've played since they opened up against Oklahoma State. I don't want to say they've played a bunch of cupcake teams, but the teams they've played haven't even have, have paled in comparison to, in, in, to talent. And when you're playing a lot of those teams like Hawaii and Wagner and, and some of those other midweek contests, you, you don't, you can make mistakes and get away with them and still win games handedly. But when you play teams like Michigan, you can't do that. And I thought that was great because Vanderbilt realized they made a couple mistakes and they immediately lost the lead. Uh, Futrell gave them an unbelievable start. Um, and they played Finn. They played great behind him. They just kind of fell apart defensively. They had some offensive opportunities that they didn't capitalize on. But I think it's great because they learned that if they don't succeed in those situations, they will lose games. They lost the lead and then they tightened it back up. And they the ninth inning, played fantastic baseball, and still found a way to win that game. I think that that game was full of learning experiences. It's going to make them better down the stretch. And that's what Corbin always talks about. And, and speaking of, you know, playing under Tim Corbin, you, you, you did that. You guys won a national championship. And I think early on in this season, uh, you know, if, say Vanderbilt, you know, would have lost a game to Wagner. They did lose this, this series to Oklahoma State. There are always some of those overreactions, I think, from fans. But, uh, you know, early in the season is always so much different than what goes on towards the, towards the end of the season and in the SEC tournament and then in the postseason and then getting to Omaha. So after playing under Tim Corbin, how, how, how does he approach those early season games and a lot of those midweek games even too? Because you're seeing a lot of young arms and you're seeing a lot of young talent be able to show what they can do. And, and I think that should give Corbs and, and the coaching staff an idea of what they have in this team. So 
after playing under Corbs, how, how does he go about approaching these early season games and even some of these midweek games where you're playing good teams? I mean, you're playing Michigan, a really good team. They also play local teams like Belmont and Lipscomb, who who are no slouches. So how would you describe his approach to, to a lot of these early season games? You know, Bill, I think that's a great question. And, and I think that it is because the way that this thing's broken down at Vanderbilt is really it's three seasons. You have the early season as your first, you have the SEC season. It's kind of its own animal itself. And then you have the postseason, right? So early season, you're constantly changing the lineup around. You're seeing what guys can what. There hasn't been the same rotation yet, right? Starting rotation on a weekend series. You're seeing guys get opportunities. Matthew Polk got in there last night. He had his first start. Um, against a really good Michigan team. So you're seeing guys constantly be plugged in, right? Gavin Cassis looks good against Hawaii, some really, um, you know, good games. So he gets plugged in there last night to start. It's fantastic. That's what you need. You need the younger guys in there, see what they can do. This weekend, when Vandy plays Missouri, that's off. Corbin's going to go with the guys he trusts most. He's going to try guys in different spots, but only when Vandy has the edge, they have leads, they have considerable leads where he feels safe. Um, so those guys that, that got in, um, they hopefully work their way into a spot. They have been trying out this whole time. Now with SEC play starting, we're really going to see guys that, um, that earn those spots and we're going to see them more consistently. After losing the Oklahoma State series, they, they've won 13 in a row, and it feels like they're kind of settling into their own form and kind of, like you said, still building that chemistry and, and, and kind of forming into the team that Corbin thinks they can be. In your mind, Rhett, where do they stand right now? How would you describe this team and where they stand heading into this weekend? And it all this is the gauntlet. You got you got about 10 weeks of SEC play, and, and in a lot of people's minds, that's the best baseball in the country, and it's going, to be, it's going to be a challenge. But where do you think this club stands heading into this weekend? I think they're in a great spot. I think the pitching's been phenomenal this entire year. I think when I look back on this, it's, it's the pitching that I've been most impressed with. Um, the defense is going to have to clean it up a little bit behind them fundamentally, and the offense is going to have to execute in big situations. This offense that they have is not a power offense. They're, this is an offense that's going to have to string together multiple hits. They're going to have to move runners. They're going to have to sacrifice bunt. They're going to have to sacrifice fly. They're going to have to steal bases. They're going to have to beat guys with pressure. They don't have a lot of guys in this lineup that can change the game with one swing of a bat. So knowing that, you have to execute uh, one through nine. That's going to be their biggest hurdle, especially when you're facing better pitching. You know, Vandy hasn't seen the best of arms uh, in the last few weeks, Oklahoma State. Um, Michigan wheeled out a guy last night who was 94, 97 um, out of the bullpen. Those are guys that they're going to see. Um, so that is what they have to do. They have to execute offensively, play solid defense. I think the pitching's good. The pitching is, is good enough. They throw a lot of strikes. They really don't walk anybody, which is fantastic. So when it, when it comes down to it, Billy, they're really going to have to execute on offense and make the plays on defense. 
you talked about st- stealing bases and you were a guy that, that stole a lot of bases in your, in your career. And you also had many other teammates that, that would do that, but it feels like this team is very dangerous in the base pass. They have 25 stolen bases. Of course, they're led by a guy by the name of Enrique Bradfield jr. Who's got a little bit of speed, but you've got other guys like Diaz and Noland and Vaz and young. They're, they're all threats on the base pass. And heck even Spencer Jones, uh, it has also shown a lot of speed this season. So, in your career and, and, and from your perspective playing the game of baseball, especially at the college level and at a level as, as high as the SEC, how much can base running impact a game, especially when you get down the stretch of a season and into the postseason when, I mean, realistically, every run is going to matter? Well, I think it's huge. And and Enrique Bradfield, uh, Javier Vaz, getting those guys on base is going to be huge. Um, and I'll tell you why, because Enrique Bradfield is a, is a phenomenal, he's a superstar college player. He, he, he is, mm-hmm. the guy is just on another level, but what a lot of people don't understand is it's not even his ability to steal bases. It's just having him on the base paths yep. is going to open things up for Diaz and Jones in order for them to be successful. Enrique Bradfield could get on first base and not steal another base for the rest of the season. Pitchers are going to be so afraid with him on base they're going to make mistake pitches right. to Diaz, who was going to destroy them. They're going to make mistake pitches to Jones and, and Dominic Keegan in the four hole. That's what Bradfield brings to the table. The threat of the steal is just as deadly as the steal itself. So getting him on base is going to be huge for the other guys in the lineup too. You mentioned Diaz, who has kind of settled into that two hole and also settled into third base, a freshman. I mean, we've seen that happen before. I feel like Corbin has been a little bit more willing to play freshman more often, especially when you've got uh, this many talented freshmen coming into the program, taking over third base. He leads the team in batting average and on base percentage right now. Uh, So he's obviously talented. But from what you've seen and what you saw last night, how impressive is that? I mean, it's a freshman guy who's able to step in and play basically immediately and, and make this kind of an impact. Well, it's, um, it's unbelievable. And I love watching Diaz play. The guy is a, uh, is a machine when it comes to handling the bat, which is what you need in the two hole. Mm-hmm. But an important thing to note also is if I was playing on this Vanderbilt team, that's where I would want to hit. That is the best place in this lineup to hit because you have a Rican Bradfield in front of you, always on first base that two hole spot is going to get a ton of fastballs, a ton of fastballs mm-hmm. because guys don't want to throw off speed. They don't want to give Bradfield the advantage of ball in the dirt reads, uh, taking more time for, for pitches to get to the plate. So Diaz is going to see a ton of fastballs. You need a guy in that spot that can handle the fastball. Diaz can absolutely do it. And, and more impressively is his eye. The guy does not swing at balls out of the zone. You have pitchers that are going to be panicking. They're going to be throwing balls all over the place. There's going to be pitch outs, Giving Diaz extra balls here and there, the guy is going to be a, a on-base machine behind Bradfield. That one-two combination um, is going to be deadly. They're going to be on-base all the time. It's really going to come down to the success of this team is really going to come down to Spencer Jones and Dominic Keegan at the plate. Yeah, it's, it's Spencer's development, too. We'll get into that a little bit, but the pitching staff, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. And, of course, you played uh, defensively behind tons of great pitchers, just like many other Vanderbilt players have. They've already got 185 strikeouts, which is unreal number uh, at this point in the season before SEC play even starts. And it feels like, I mean, there's depth every year, 
but I feel like Vanderbilt won that game in large part due to their pitching depth. And I think Michigan struggled with a lot of those back-end guys and just throwing strikes and, and, and kind of trying to get out. So uh, for this team, how would you describe their pitching depth? Because it feels like they've got some guys who are in the bullpen. Uh, now they're starting this season, and they've also got guys who have started last season. Now they're into the bullpen. So obviously there's still a lot of movement to go on, and that'll happen with this team. But from your perspective, I mean, it feels like this is the this is the most depth in, in all of college baseball at, at the pitching spot. Right. And, you know, there might be teams that have more talented guys as far as velocity goes and, and right. stuff concerned. But the one thing that Vanderbilt did last night, which is what they've been doing all season, which is separating them, is their ability to throw strikes. They're throwing so many strikes. They're wheeling guys out there and they're going 0-1-0-2. They're going 0-1-1-1-1-2. They're throwing so many strikes. So they're pitching out of advantage counts. Hitters are very rarely getting 202-13130, which is obvious. Immediately, you're putting the statistics into your favor as a pitcher when you're pitching ahead. They're getting a ton of first pitch strikes. They're pitching from advantage positions over and over and over again, which is just guaranteeing success, um, which I absolutely love because as a defense, you're always ready. Mm -hmm. Quick innings because you know, hey, this guy's going to, he's going to throw strikes early in the count. I need to be ready early to make a play for him. Um, and I think that's what's totally separating these guys uh, so far. I also think the key to Vandy's success from a pitching standpoint is going to be Christian Little out of the bullpen. They need a guy that comes in in the fifth inning, sixth inning, when a guy gets in trouble and shuts the door, a guy that's got electric stuff that he has. He is going to be the difference maker to come in, close the door in rough situations. Right, going back to your last season at Vanderbilt 2015, obviously you got you guys won the national title in, in 2014. There's been some changes with the program. Obviously, technology in baseball has changed, and you're seeing uh, the electronic watches that uh, the entire defense is wearing. You, you know, you've seen new turf uh, put in at Hawkins Field. Uh, I think some more, you know, season ticket seats. You got the gold seats in the outfield. So this program has changed, and I, I don't think you'd be surprised to, to see that and, and to know that it has changed and evolved and gotten even even better since you've been there, but in what ways have you seen specifically this program under Tim Corbin grow and a lot of the coaches and kind of their style of play, especially after being under this coaching staff and Corbin's regime for, for a few seasons. Right. Well, Tim Corbin is, he's the best there is. It's, there's not even a question about it. He's an innovator and people say, oh, what are you doing at first? That is always what happens. Oh, that's crazy. We'll never do that. And then you blink and three years later, everyone's doing it. And by the time everyone else is doing it, Corbin's already moved right. on to the next thing. You look at the field, right? I remember when they laid the field turf in 2000, in the fall of 2012, we were one of the first teams in the country to have short, hard mm -hmm. turf that played quick. And then you blink and now we're, you know, Everybody's 10 years good. every single person has the exact same turf of every team, almost every team in the country, they get the same stuff and all the coaches and athletic directors come to Vanderbilt to see how it's modeled. Mm -hmm. They call us crazy with the, with the turf mound, you blink. Now everybody has it. So everything that Vanderbilt's doing, everybody else adapts to. Um, and, you know, you talk about the, the electronic watches. Yeah. I don't like as far as pitcher catcher is concerned. I like them for position players. I'll tell you why, because as an outfielder, I could never usually peek in and see what pitch was coming. Mm -hmm. Infielders can shortstops. Sometimes they can signal that to the center fielder who might relay that to the corner outfielders. But as a corner outfielder, as a corner infielder, sometimes you don't know what pitch is coming. 
it's it's a it's helpful to know what's coming because you can position yourself in favor of okay hey listen i know this guy throws hard the pitcher the hitter's probably going to be a little late i'm going to give him a couple steps this way or this way um that's that's definitely beneficial to position players i don't like it for pitchers catchers because it totally takes the human element out of it um when pitchers get to the next level they're not going to know how to take signs when 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 catchers get to the next level they're not going to know how to relay signs um, and, and I don't know, I, I, I am not a fan of that at all, but I do love it for position players. Yeah. Do you think, Rhett, there's been a ton of talk about that, and I do agree with you. Um, you know, I mean, we haven't seen this in baseball ever, and it, you know, this could be some sort of an experiment. You know, maybe they don't like it. They take it away, say, hey, we're going to go back to the natural uh, thing in baseball that, that everybody does. Um, but, you know, why is this? Are, were you surprised to see this this move from, from Corbin? And, and I think Coach Brown obviously had an influence in this. And, and you know, or is this, you know, or is this more of a, a thing that, hey, we're going to try this out and see how it works. You know, we're not trying to, to make waves around baseball. Uh, but how, how were you surprised in general to, to, to see this move? No, they make the move because they think it's the best move to make. They don't care what I think. They don't care what anybody else thinks in baseball. They don't care what the president thinks. They could care less. They care about what's going to help them win games. If they think that it's going to help them win games, that's what they're going to do. That's what we've always done in that program. It's what I did when I was there. You don't listen to anybody outside of that program. It doesn't matter if the team believes in it and they think it's helping them win games. That's what they're going to do. Right. I want to go back to your career a little bit here. And I know last time you were on, we talked a lot about it, but obviously you played right field and I, I, I got to believe that's where come on Rhett started. And how did that, how did that sort of evolve? I know they got the right field fan base that, uh, that always attaches themselves uh, with the right fielder. And then it kind of went into the infield with the come on Rhett chant. How did that start? And when did you kind of realize that, Hey, they're, they're actually saying my name. Well, you know, the fans of Vandy have always been phenomenal. Um, and, and what you're referencing is, is the Rhett Fielders out in, out in, out yep, in right field, yep. uh, who are just the absolute greatest. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the fans at Vandy have always been incredible to me. They, the, the fan base there, they, they have such a deep care and appreciation to the program. And, and really, that's all about Tim Corbin. He has basically created a culture where the players are so appreciative of the fans and vice versa. The players understand the sacrifices that the fans make um, in a time commitment and in a financial commitment to the program. And the players understand, hey, we wouldn't be here without the support of, of the fans. They're a tremendous, tremendous part of, of the success of Vandy. Um, and, and I love to see that base growing. Right. There's been a ton of talk about the whistler and he has kind of evolved uh, in, in games at Hawkins field, but also in Hoover at the SEC tournament, also at TD Ameritrade park in Omaha. It seems like if you're not a Vandy fan, you, you can't stand the guy. You can't stand the whistle. I know there are some Vandy fans at games that still can't stand him, but as players from the player's point of view, is that something you guys, you guys resonate with? Do you, do you even hear it? Does it distract you? Uh, there's been a ton of talk about that. I mean, what, what was what? What did you guys think of the whistler when you played, Billy? I didn't know we had a, a whistler until I had left. <laughs> you you don't realize it. I'm telling you, the, the way that the cultures run over there, you are focused on the game and the game only. It doesn't matter what's happening in the stands. It, it, nothing is going to deter you and and break your focus. Um, the whistler is. I know him personally. He's a fantastic human being. Um, there are more than one whistler 
and and I love them both. Um, and you don't realize it. And and frankly, if other people have a problem with it, uh, especially people on the other side and, and opposing teams and players, I think that they should whistle more. Exactly. And I think Tim Corbin would agree with you. I think, uh, and, and, you know, I've heard, I've heard complaints from, uh, from people in the public saying Corbin needs to step in and stop this. And I don't see why he ever would. I mean, it's something that benefits the program and, you know, especially playing in the sec, you guys are traveling, you know, you guys were traveling to crowds of 12,000, 13,000 fan bases in Starkville, Oxford, uh, the, the crowd in Knoxville is even better. LSU is getting better as well. Um, you know, what's it like playing in those crowds, especially at the Hawk? You know, you get maybe 4,000 fans there, but you're going on the road and you're playing in front of 12,000 people. Is that, I mean, is that a disadvantage to you guys or is that something you guys love doing and trying to trying to silence the, that, that road crowd? Well, Billy, I'll tell you what, we'll get rid of the whistler when, when they get rid of those awful cowbells over at Mississippi yeah, State. I was just going to say that. That's what we'll do. <laughs> but, you know, you don't hear it. We, we simulate that stuff at Vanderbilt. All that, all those environments, they're simulated. We, we have ways that, that, that we would do it when I was there, and I'm sure they have ways they're doing it now um, to simulate high-pressure situations when nobody can hear anything and, and you're going off of body language and, and certain motions. Um, and and that's, uh, that's what they do. Um, so it doesn't matter when you're there, you're playing another, another Jersey. That's all it is. It doesn't matter what people are saying to you. Uh, the, the guys at Vandy, they're built different, they're trained differently, and it doesn't matter what environment they're in. Um, they, they can find success. You talk about Vanderbilt baseball players being built different. And I've, I've, I've been agreement there. It just feels like they have separated themselves from college baseball in a way that no other program I think has at that level, you know, you've seen college basketball teams do it. I think you've seen a few football teams do it, but it does feel like Corbin and the Vandy boys are at that level of an Alabama football or a Duke basketball and the way they dominate the sport and one example of that, I know you were watching this game, Vanderbilt and Louisville, uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, we saw the thing with Luke Smith, the Louisville pitcher, pitched a great game, but he was showing emotion. And I'm sure he lit a fire under that very experienced team. And then Vanderbilt brought out their emotion for the first time all game. You know, and, I, and you got to believe that's a foundational part of what Corbin teaches. Celebrate when there's something to celebrate. You know, and I know I've noticed that about the program. So going back to that game, I know you watched it. Was that something that you looked at and realized, hey, I'm not surprised. I mean, this is the Vanderbilt culture and, you know, this is what they do. And when they when they take the lead after a pitcher has has been acting the way he has and has been pitching the way he has, they're going to let you know about it a little bit. And that's kind of, you know, the, it goes along the lines of, hey, these guys are built different and they're not going to back down from anybody. Right. You know, and I had no problem with what that Louisville pitcher was doing. Yeah. I mean, that's competition. That's what it is. That kid got dragged through the mud for absolutely no reason at all. I mean, if you had, uh, you know, were able to bear witness to some of the things that we would say and do to each other uh, when I was training at Vanderbilt, you'd say, wow, that's nothing because <laughs> you build toughness. You know, you have all these people watching the game who aren't tough. They've never been in a competitive environment in their life. That's what that is. That, that is a bunch of people competing to win um, victory trophy on the line and, and emotions get crossed and that's the game. And if you don't like that, then you shouldn't watch competitive sports. I had no problem with it. I loved how Vandy rallied. It's chippy. It's beautiful. Uh, that is the game that is emotion. And yes, nobody practices, uh, emotion better than Vanderbilt there. The, the beautiful thing about Tim Corbin is the, the freedom of expression in the program is insanely high. 
you you do what you want to do you you are your own human being and you can express that in in however way you want that's what makes vandy so unique um the the ability to confront each other other people on the team um is is completely in existence there is a lot of confrontation that goes on um and and it only helps uh players and teams in the long run you talked about the chippiness and that seems like a great adjective for the sport of college baseball you know a lot, lot of pettiness a lot of chippiness and just they compete i mean and especially the last few seasons it feel like college baseball has been on the rise and i know you're a big fan of that especially with you know the way major league baseball is going right now there, there's excitement but college baseball and collegiate sports in general kind of has a different edge to it in that aspect so I think I think Rhett, there should be more games on TV. I think they should be throwing a game of the week on ESPN or the MLB Network. I think there should be more than there is right now. So, would you agree with that? And and with college baseball right now, uh, how would you say that it's changed uh, since since you've been there? Because it was hot when you were there, and especially as a former Vanderbilt player, uh, there's kind of a different eye on you guys and and, and from from the fans in Nashville. Uh, but college baseball right now, what's uh, what? Where does it stand right now? And do you think there should be even more exposure than there is? Right, and I, I do. Um, I, I think that we're we're in such a great place right now where where college baseball has such a fantastic grip on social media. Uh, college baseball has really, really come up in, in popularity over the last couple of years. I think absolutely without a doubt, it should, there should be at least a game of the week on ESPN. Uh, there should be, you know, way more exposure on TV. I think it would benefit the sport. I think as a whole, I think it would benefit college baseball. I think it would benefit the universities and obviously the players. Um, any way to get college baseball, in front of more people um, only benefits the sport. Right, real quick here before I let you go, uh, you're on the radio call last night with Andrew Allegretta. Do you know if there's uh, there's going to be any more games you're hopping on the call uh, with Andrew this season? I'm not sure. Nothing on schedule right now, but I would love to get back in there with Andrew anytime. He's a fantastic professional, uh, and he has a really high care level for the team. Looking forward to it if, if you're getting back on the radio. But, Rhett, thanks again for taking the time. The national champion, former Vanderbilt baseball player, and uh, he's still tuned in with the Vandy boys, just like many of them are. And, uh, Rhett, thanks again for taking the time, and uh, have a good rest of your week. Thanks, Billy.